All right, how we doing? Man, it was amazing. Uh, welcome, friends in the room. What was amazing, friends who are joining us not here? It was just the worship session that we just had. I'm sure it was amazing if you're in Fort Worth or Houston or wherever you are. Uh, I'm going to start us off with a story as we continue this series called Bad Advice, where we just look at these cultural expressions, beliefs, and ideas that uh, really were fed every day that if you really think about them, especially if you compare them to Scripture, are bad advice. We've covered a couple of them uh, related to follow your heart. Why that's a bad idea and bad advice. Good people go to heaven. That's bad advice. Try before you buy it. Bad advice. And tonight, we're going to continue that series. I'm going to start uh, with a story that will kind of give us traction for where we're going. And I'm going to let you guys in to uh, one of my more embarrassing moments. And so I'd like for us to keep this in the room and in the respective rooms, wherever you are. And, uh, and this happened. So the last semester of my senior year of college, I had a good friend who uh, came up, and we were talking, and we were buddies, and, and he had a part-time job. And he was like, hey, you should do this part-time job. I mean, I'm like banking on it. His part-time job was, uh, was uh, he was modeling. So his, his, um, let's, let's call this friend Matt, uh, because that was his name. And, uh, and Matt was, uh, and he made like $300 an hour. He was like, dude, it's crazy. You know, you just put on a shirt and it's like, there you go. And, uh, and he's like, man, you should try it out. One, you're a guy. And there's like 3,000 redheads on the entire planet. So, you know, probably you're not competing against a lot. So go for it. And, uh, and so he connected all this stuff. <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling this story. Um, he connected and he's like, here, here's all you need to go. Here's the person that'll call you. They reach out. They set up this entire, like, shoot. Hey, show up. Here's the, here's the day. Uh, here's the place to go to. You're going to go do this shoot for this, like, clothing line. It was actually in Dallas. And it was, like, uh, you know, some retail clothing place. So anyways, hey, show up. You'll, you'll put on these jeans, and then you'll do this picture thing. Show up. The day comes. A little nervous. Not what to expect. Get there. Um, going in the place. Kind of not sure what this is all going to look like. Go up. And I meet the lady who essentially says, oh, yes, uh, uh, David, here you go. Perfect. All right, here's the jeans. There's changing room. Go put them on. I go to the changing room. And uh, <laughs> this whole experience is new to me. And I'm not the changing room, but just, you know, the whole picture thing. And... Uh, <laughs> And I begin to put on these jeans and I begin to realize something very quickly. Houston, we have a problem, a big problem. I can't fit these jeans over my legs. I'm like, they must have given me ladies' jeans or something. I check the tag and they are my size. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are so tight. I can barely fit them up over my legs. I'm, I'm looking in the mirror like this this cannot be right. This is not the style. And I'm pretty sure. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, this doesn't look right. But maybe, you know, they're like, it's European looking and it's the style that's coming in. And, and maybe this is what they want. And, and I can literally, true story, like barely walk. And so I'm like, I guess I'll make my way over to the lady. And I'm waddling like a penguin over to her. And I walk up to her and without missing a beat, she's, she goes, she looks at me. Yeah, that's not going to work. Okay, I think we're done. You can go change back out. Literally, she sent me back to the room, had me change out of it, and, and that was it. That was the uh, short-lived, any opportunity that I had of clearly, hey, this is not for me, and, uh, and I need to go on a diet or something. And, uh, and it was one of those moments where I was like, ouch, lady, first off, a little harsh, please. Not that I disagree with you. I kind of have that thought in the changing room, but still a little stronger than I would have wanted to hear. And the truth is, uh, what she was doing in that moment was she was being honest. She was telling the truth. Uh, she was maybe being a little judgmental, if you will, but she was saying what was right and what was true. And the reason I start there is because just like in that scenario where uh, clearly this 
person, being me, had not aligned to the standard of modeling. So my modeling career didn't make it, and, uh, and I had not aligned to what they were looking for in the same way, and all she was doing was voicing that, communicating that in the same way. Uh, tonight, we're gonna talk about a topic that involves and would require, just like that lady, speaking the truth honestly and what is accurate and what is true, even if it can feel judgmental, because it fails to meet the standard and how that is a necessary part of living the Christian life. Specifically, we're gonna talk about a bad advice that contradicts this idea for Christians especially. So this message is really tailored to those of us who are Christians, but I think if you're uh, still figuring this whole thing out, maybe you're new to church for the first time in a while, maybe you left church, maybe you're not even sure what you believe, uh, maybe tonight's message will give you a little bit of clarity around the idea of why Christians have seemed so judgmental and have missed it as it relates to the topic we're about to talk about. Because there is an indication that we're given inside of the Bible that this idea of judging or holding someone to a standard and speaking the truth to them is a part of living the Christian life. You cannot be obedient to Jesus if you're unwilling to do that or if you're unwilling to have those voices inside of your life. But at the same time, Christians have really gotten this wrong. If you think about in culture what people think of when they think of Christians, uh, being judgmental, homophobic, uh, people who are um, uh, self-righteous, all these different adjectives that a lot of times stem from the fact that culture feels so judged by the Christians who are very quick to judge others outside the church, but not quick to judge and care for those inside the church. Very quick to say, Disney, I can't believe Beauty and the Beast, and that's crazy. And what was Gaston doing? Oh my gosh. But they're not quick to say, hey, inside of the church, we have a divorce problem. This is not okay. Pornography's not okay. That uh, covering up pedophilia, as has been a part of certain denominations, is not okay. And the Church of Christ has to be much better as it relates to this. And I think you were going to discover tonight that for many people, their impression of Christianity shaped by judgmental Christians is because those judgmental Christians just weren't handling this issue right. So we're gonna look and explore that tonight as we look at the bad advice that's often said in a number of different ways, but it relates to judging. Sometimes it's expressed like this, man, who am I to judge? Not really my place, you do you. Sometimes it's expressed like, hey, only God can judge me, get off. Sometimes it's expressed like it's not really my place to judge. And tonight we're gonna to talk about for Christians when it is your place to judge. And that it is. And there are places where it's required. You cannot be obedient to Jesus. And neither can I without listening and applying what it looks like to judge. And by judge for the whole night, what I mean is holding to a standard. If I'm placing judgment or if she's judging me for not fitting in those jeans, she's saying you don't fit the standard or this is where you're falling short of the standard. So by judge, I mean holding others to the standard. So we're gonna be in the uh, book of 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, you can flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter five, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Roman, Corinthians. Here's what, the, here's what the letter of 1 Corinthians is. It's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Corinth is a port city in Greece. It's still there today. You can go see it, but it's a, a Greece uh, or a Greek port city named Corinth. It's one of the largest cities in the ancient world. Here's what you need to know about Corinth. Corinth was crazy. It's Sin City. It's, it's probably the closest equivalent to Las Vegas that we have. Like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. It was such a bad place. Like true story. You go read any sort of historical uh, pieces from the time that people would call uh, 
A Corinthian girl was a slang word for a prostitute. If you wanted to, to bash someone, that's Plato who started that. He said, look, a Corinthian is a girl who just does not, uh, who gives out her body in a way that uh, is very generous, if you will. That even to Corinthianize was a verb in the Greek language that means to have sex. So it was a city that was very much defined by this pagan living lifestyle. The temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty in Greek uh, mythology was located there with 2,000 prostitutes. You go, there's STDs rampant, like we talked about a little bit last week, but that's the city of Corinth. All of a sudden inside of Corinth, uh, these people become believers in Jesus. They step out of worshiping Zeus, they start worshiping Jesus, and they're trying to figure out how do I live this Christian life because I've only known crazy Corinth, so how do I live this? So Paul writes these letters to the church in Corinth and he begins to explain how to live out the Christian faith. Here's what we know about Paul, and then we're gonna dive in, in the church in Corinth. Paul clearly loved the church in Corinth because he writes them more letters than any other church that we know of. Uh, we're, we're aware of only, or we're rare, aware of four that he writes. You may be going, wait, there's only two, first, second, third, there's actually four, and we know that because he refers to the other two that we don't have in his letters. And he talks about these different letters that were lost to history. And so he loved this church that was full of these pagans who trusted in Jesus and trying to figure it out and all the craziness that came with the church in Corinth. Uh, Paul, despite all of that, loved these guys and he begins to write as it relates to the idea of what it looks like to judge or to hold uh, one another to the standard inside of Christianity. So we're gonna look at uh, who we judge as Christians, why we judge the people that we do, and how we judge as Christians. We're gonna start in verse one of chapter five, and here we go. Paul says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. And so Paul says, hey, it's actually reported that there's something going on in the church that I need to address. I've heard rumors of it, that there's this type of sexual morality that even the pagans go, oh, dude, that is not right. Here's what it is. That a man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. And Paul says, even, even people who have no faith, they're going, dude, you just don't do that. That is disgusting. And here's what, here's what he's probably saying as it relates to this situation, uh, that he's not sleeping with his mother or else Paul would have said that. That there's a guy inside of the church who became a Christian and his dad remarried. Maybe his mom passed away or maybe uh, they divorced. But either way, his dad remarries and has a new wife. And there's a guy inside of the church at Corinth. And when you think church, don't think like this. It was probably between 30 and 50 people at most. So think like a really big, small group. So everybody kind of knows everybody and everything's going on. And this guy is showing up and he's sleeping or hooking up with his father's new wife. And Paul is going, even the pagans are going, dude, that is disgusting. What are you doing? And it says that the church is proud. What do you mean proud? That Paul's saying, look, you guys are like celebrating that. Hey, this is okay. Jesus died for sins like this. This is great. You know, at least he's a Christian. So everything that he does doesn't matter anymore. And Paul says, you've totally missed it. Verse four, shouldn't you have gone into mourning, verse two, I'm sorry, and have put him out of your fellowship, the man who is doing this, that you should have cast him out. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit as one who is present in this way. I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord on the one who's been doing this. Wait a second, Paul, you've already passed judgment and you judged him in the name of the Lord? Isn't that a little bit aggressive here, Paul? Can you even judge someone in the name of the Lord? Like, I don't, judging just doesn't feel right in general. Paul says, I judged him. 
in the name of the Lord. Wait, Paul, Christians don't judge. I'm one of the first Christians ever, and I judge, Paul would say. And I've judged him, and I'm telling you, cast him out. So when you're assembled, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. Wowzer. For the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Like in other words, hand him over to his sin for his own good. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little bit of yeast leavens the whole batch of dough, that, that sin, an embraced lifestyle sin is gonna seep out. It's like cancer, it'll spread. Verse nine, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all referring to the people of this world or non-Christian people who are immoral and greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. So Paul says, I, when I wrote in my other letter uh, about how you're not to associate or have relationships with people who are immoral and greedy and swindlers, I wasn't talking about non-Christians. You've gotta be in relationship with non-Christians who live like non-Christians. I wouldn't say cut off those relationships, but now I'm writing to say that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister or a Christian but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? And he would say, none. But are you not to judge those inside of the church? Inference being, yes. God will judge those outside, but you expel the wicked person from among you. That Paul lays out the first idea from this text, which is who do Christians judge or who are we to judge, which is other Christians. Uh, and again, when I talk about judgment, it's holding to the standard. Like Paul, he basically says, look, there's a guy inside of your church. This isn't like a one-off, like, hey, he was speeding on his camel one time, get him. This is a guy who's <laughs> sleeping and unrepentant sin, saying, hey, look, I'm gonna sleep. Jesus died for sins like these, everything's fine. And uh, people are saying, you should stop doing that. And I'm like, hey, everything's totally great. You know, Jesus paid for everything I've ever done wrong. So I'm gonna keep doing as much as I wanna do wrong. Paul says, look, you need to cut that guy off of the fellowship. Do not allow him to be inside of the group anymore for his own good. And then he goes into this idea of like, man, maybe you misunderstood me when I said, hey, don't have relationships with people who are sexually immoral. I'm talking about Christians who were living a life that embraces the sin Jesus died for who are celebrating and living the sin that Jesus died for. I'm not talking about non-Christians who live like they don't know Jesus. People who don't know Jesus are not who you should judge. People who are not followers of Christ, who don't say I'm a Christian. There's no business, he would say, judging those people. Who are Christians to judge? Followers of Christ, or they're not to judge someone who's outside of the church. Like non-believers, like if you have friends, a parent, uh, uh, a sister, a cousin, a coworker, per a person in the apartment next to you who is living like a non-believer or she is a non-believer or he is a non-believer and they're living in a way that like reflects that, they're just fulfilling their job description. Like a person who's turning to marijuana to find relief in life or turning to more alcohol or sleeping, sleeping around or using their body or uh, uh, chasing whatever next high to fill some void, they're not someone that you need to go up to and point out their sin. They're someone who's doing what someone who doesn't know Jesus would do. We don't point people who don't know Jesus to their sin, we point them to Jesus and the forgiveness is there. There is no place for Christians to judge those outside of the church, Paul would say. And if you do, he said, 
You put yourself in the place of God. And it's sin. You have no business judging those outside of the church. God will. But inside of the church, he says, it's your responsibility and my responsibility to judge those inside of the church. That when someone says, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I wanna follow him with my life, but is confronted with the ways that they're either not dating in line with that or they're not living or handling money or whatever it is, the way that they're using uh, alcohol and they say, look, you know, I think it's fine. You're just making too big of a deal of it. And they persistently say, I'm not gonna change this. Yes, I wanna go to heaven, but I really don't care what God says. Paul says, that is the person that you need to step into and hold to the standard of following Jesus. And at an extreme, he's gonna say, even if it means at the most extreme form, cutting off the relationship, that you and I are called to hold to the standard and to hold accountable other believers. Christians are called to judge Christians. And if you're thinking, no, oh, wait, is it? that's how the Bible says judge not. Like, you're supposed to judge not. Jesus said judge not. We're gonna cover what Jesus said exactly here in a second. Because if you read the rest of the passage, he's not telling you not to judge. He's telling you how to judge and who to judge. And so Paul says you're supposed to judge inside. And by judge, I mean hold accountable. Hold to the standard that when you become a believer in Christ, you're saying Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And I don't want to embrace and celebrate the sin that put the person I love on the cross that he came and died for. Paul says, judge and help one another inside of the church. Here's, I mean, so often the church has like gotten this wrong, tragically. And if, and if you are stepping back in church for the first time in a while uh, and you see the church as being judgmental towards outsiders, sadly, a lot of Christian action has really earned that. Where Christians have done such a terrible job feeling like it's their or our job to go police the morality of the world outside who doesn't even believe the Bible. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe any of the same things that we do. And they're just going, why are you judging me based on things that I don't even believe? And it's not our place to point them to the morality here. It's to point them to the only one who can fix the broken immorality in my heart, your heart, and everyone's heart, which is Jesus. We point believers to scripture. We point non-Christians to Jesus. And sadly, that hasn't been the case where the world has felt like Christians are just all up in your business telling you how you should live and you don't even believe what they believe. I mean, it's not just similar to this. Not long ago, I was helping a buddy of mine move and he lived in, in the M Streets, which is just an area of Dallas. And he was moving to an, another area by White Rock Lake in another neighborhood. Loaded up his car, loaded up my car over there about to help him move all of his stuff, get inside of the car, get a phone call from JP. We're talking about something related to report stuff. So I'm on the phone following my friend, uh, at some point, he like takes a turn and I miss him uh, or I lose him for a second and then I pick back up with him and we're sitting at the light and I begin following him to his house. All the while, kind of talking on the phone and, and uh, watching where we're gonna go because I didn't know where we were going to this new house and I'm just gonna follow him, turn my turn. And we take one turn and all of a sudden we're in this neighborhood and he's like taking turns and going down streets and we're doing like the same loop over and over again where I'm like, I think he's lost right now. I don't think he knows where he's going up there. Hey, Jay, I'm gonna have to call you back. Uh, and I'm thinking this guy, I'm just beginning essentially judging that he doesn't know where he's going or he's lost and we keep taking the, these turns after turns. And eventually uh, uh, my friend pulled up and, uh, and he parked the car and he gets out of the car and looks back and it's not my friend, it's some other dude <laughs> driving the exact same car or the exact same type of car, a Yukon. And I was like, oh, oh, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. And he's like, there's some crazy person behind me that's following me I'm trying to lose right now. And I'm like, that's why he felt like he was trying to lose me. And, uh, 
And it was this guy who was going, why are you following? As I sit there judging this person based on a set of directions and destinations that he'd never agreed to, he'd never even seen. I'm judging him based on a set of criteria of like, I don't think he knows where he's going, that he has never agreed to. He's never even seen or read, just like the world when it judges non-believers based on a set of criteria or the Bible or following in what following Jesus should look like that they've never agreed to. Most of them have never even seen or read. And they're going, hey, why are you following me right now? Get off of me. And the church tragically has done such a poor job about caring for those in its midst and being judgmental towards those outside. And Paul says, it has no basis for being in the church. Who you are to judge and who I'm to judge is fellow Christians or who we hold accountable in terms of their behavior is fellow Christians. He then also inside of this passage answers the question of why Christians judge. Why Christians judge Christians. Why Christians judge Christians. And it's because judging or holding fellow Christians to the standard of following Jesus is loving. The reason why is because judging is loving, or another way of saying it is that you cannot love someone. Because here's what I know. Like judging, if you're a young adult, we kind of grew up in this, this whole like milieu or ecosystem where it's like, oh, I don't even like the word judge. What if we replaced it with tolerance? How's that one feel? We kind of like have this uh, really strong resistance to even the word of judge, which is why I'm trying to use what the Bible means, which is hold accountable or hold to the standard. Encourage them to live in line with what they've already said. Uh, and why is that loving? Why would it be loving to judge someone? To say, hey, I'm gonna hold you accountable to the standard you agreed to. I mean, we've all seen like there's times where it clearly is the most loving to say something, to speak up, and it would be unloving to not say something. The other day I was driving home from work. I turn uh, to a street that's by my house. It's a two-lane street, driving this way. And I turn and I turn on the uh, right lane to drive because traffic's coming this way. There's a car that's driving that doesn't realize it's a two-lane street that's right next to me and it just passes me on the left. It's not like I'm on a highway or something where they're going around. They're literally just driving on the two-lane street on the side. And in that moment, I'm not like, oh, gosh. I would like wave them over or tell them something. I just don't wanna be judgmental. Sure, there's a huge 18 semi truck coming right at them, but I don't feel like that would be the right thing to do. It's not really my place. Have they agreed to the standard of two lane roads? I don't know. Is it really for me to say? <laughs> yes, they've agreed when they got a driver's license. And so in that moment, I drive up, honk, honk, move over. It's a dumb illustration, but here's my point. There are clearly times where someone is headed to wreck their life where you would say, it is unloving and maybe evil to say, I'm just gonna let you go. A parent that says to children, I'm just gonna let you go. We have a two-year-old who wants to run into the street. You would say, it's evil if you don't step in and discipline your child and say, stop running into the street. If we're just like, ah, boys will be boys, go get them. <laughs> Move quick. Uh, we'd say that's wrong. In the same way, Paul says, look, there's clearly times where you and I, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are called to call one another, to follow Jesus, to lovingly move in and say, hey, I see this thing that's inside of your life that's not the man that you wanna be. That's not the woman that you wanna be. Can I help you here? Do you think that this is the best way to date? The best way to, uh, do you think that really he's good for you? That as Christians, 
to other followers of Christ, it is unloving to say, ah, what can I do? You know, you do you. Paul would say, you have a responsibility and you are disobedient. If you don't have others in your life calling you to that and you're not judging or calling others to do the same. So the reason why Christians judge is because it is unloving to say I'm never gonna judge or oftentimes judging is loving or holding to the standard is loving. Paul in this very extreme case even shows that hey, when I say separate him from the group, it is for his good. You see that what the verse says, verse five, if you go back and look at it, he says, hey, I want you to separate this man from the group or hand him over to Satan, hand him over to his sin, which just essentially means, hey, we're gonna hand him over and let him, if he wants to live that kind of lifestyle, we're gonna say, dude, I'm gonna take the governor off, I'm not gonna hold you accountable, go get him. If you're, you're saying, hey, alcohol's always gonna be a part of my life, I just can't do it, dude, go drink more. If you're gonna say, hey, look, I just like to sleep around, I like pornography, and I'm, I'm unwilling to change that, I will not change that, then Paul would say, dude, take the governor off and let him go. Why? So that his flesh may be destroyed or his sinful nature will be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of judgment. What does that mean? Paul basically says that oftentimes the quickest way back to God is deeper into your sin. If a person is saying, hey, I'm never gonna change, I will not change, I'm just gonna keep doing this, of course we're gonna live together, of course we're gonna sleep together, it's just the modern age, it's what we do, Paul would say, hands off, let them go and wreck their life, and that will bring them back. That oftentimes the quickest way back is further into their sin, in the most extreme cases, when they're saying, I'm choosing to embrace, regardless of what anyone says, the sin that Jesus died for. He says, even removing him from the group is so that eventually he'll come back. In other words, it's not loving to be like, oh, and this is Bob. He doesn't listen to anything Jesus says, but he's here to hold everybody else accountable. Let's have a small group time. Anybody want cake, huh? He would say, that's not loving to say, Bob, just keep coming, even though you are saying you believe Jesus, but you won't follow him. It's not loving for us to just say, hey, Bob just thinks this is a big game, so let's all just hold things accountable, and Bob's just gonna train wreck his life. He's saying, man, just don't waste Bob's time, your time. Let Bob go chase whatever sin he's saying. I'm unwilling to change this in hopes that he'll hit rock bottom and come back. And Paul says, even that, even that form of the most extreme judgment, which is putting somebody outside of the small group, is for the good of that person and the good of the group. So finally, how do Christians judge Christians. How do Christians judge Christians? So Paul, uh, because of the extreme nature of the, uh, the uh, scenario and because of really just the messed up heresy of the church, he really doesn't go into a ton of in depth about the approach of how we inside of the church judge or care for one another or hold one another accountable. The good news is Jesus does. Jesus uh, tells us very clearly some of the steps. And so the way that you and I judge Christians or how Christians judge Christians is by having the actions that Jesus lays out and the attitude of Jesus. The actions that Jesus lays out in Matthew 18, we're gonna look at in a second, and really the attitude of Jesus. Jesus, as clear as any other place in scripture, if you're here tonight and you're like, man, judging, this is why I don't like Christians because they like to judge. Um, I would understand why you have that perspective. But the reason why we're called to hold each other, not you if you're not a Christian, but Christians accountable, 
is because we're commanded to. Not because we like made it up and we're like, this is some weird fun game we play. It's because we're told to hold each other accountable. Jesus says this. If you have any respect for Jesus, he says this in Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won. Jesus indicates something that's true every time. Anytime that you and I seek to hold one another accountable or we just judge someone, the short way of saying it. The way that you know you have victory is not if you proved your case and you got it all, all your answers out there, but if they're restored back to the group, if they turn and repent, like, man, I was wrong, thank you. He says, you won. And he says, if they don't listen, so you go one to one, and if they don't, you take two along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So you take one or two, and you go two to one. Bring someone else from the small group. Hey, here's what I'm seeing. And if they still refuse to listen, you tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So church, again, in this context, just means like the assembly or the gathering. It wouldn't be like, hey, yeah, we want everybody next week to come stand up, just yell out something if you've had this take place. It would be inside of the small group context in our modern day era, where like you would go to someone, they still saying, ah, I'm not listening. Bring another person. Still stiff arm, I'm not listening. And then you would bring it to the small group and say, look, hey, Sarah doesn't wanna be held accountable on this anymore, and I'm just widening the circle. And Jesus says, you widen the circle following these steps. Those are the actions. The other places in scripture where we're told about this, it also makes clear certain attitudes that you and I are to have of Christ. Christ says this in Matthew chapter seven where he talks about judge, and he says that you and I, one of the attitudes we're to have is do so humbly, that you and I are to have a posture of humility. As you go and you judge someone or you correct someone or you call someone out, that you and I are to do so following the steps of Jesus or the actions and the attitudes. And one of those is being humble. What does Jesus say? He says, do not judge and you too will not be judged. Or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That Jesus didn't say, hey, never take specks out of other people's eyes. He says, look, when you approach someone, make sure that you deal with the stuff in your own life first. Make sure that whether you're in a conflict or whether you see that a problem exists in someone else's life, that you're quick to take the two by four out of your eye before you go like, hey, I think you have like a little splinter in your eye over there. He says, make sure that you deal with your own stuff. Don't judge hypocritically and be humble. So one of the attitudes and the other attitude is that we do so in a way that's gently and lovingly. Paul, Paul in Galatians 6 says this, uh, verse one, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, so if someone has found themselves in the midst of an addiction, in the midst of an unhealthy relationship, in the midst of just unwise decisions, in the midst of just, uh, man, the chaos that all of us bring into our life just because we're all prone to move towards sin. He says, if someone is caught around you, if a friend someone in your community group, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit, or your translation may say, you who are spiritual, if you're a spiritual person, 
should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, you may also be tempted. That you and I are called to do so with the actions of Christ that he lays out and the attitude of Christ. So here's, here's like what I think this looks like, just to be overly specific. So inside of your community group, maybe there's somebody who's, who uh, you see and you're doing so not from a posture of like, oh man, I'm trying to, I, I just hate this person, I'm jealous of what's going on, but sincerely, I love and care about this person and I see them making un- unwise decisions. Sally is in your community group and Sally, you've noticed, has started sleeping over at her boyfriend's more than she should, which is ever. And you've just seen that she's continuing <laughs> to sleep over there and you're like, hey, Sally, I just wanna know. And she, or, or they're going on vacation, staying in a hotel room together. And you're like, Sally, hey, I just wanna talk through that because I, I wanna make sure that I'm loving you and caring for you. And I don't wanna allow my own insecurity or my own fear of coming across judgmental to stop me from asking good questions or caring for you. Hey, do you think it's okay for you and Bill to sleep together, Sally? And Sally goes, well, I mean, we're not, we're not having sex. We're just sleeping in the same bed. Okay, well, first off, I'm not sure that that is still wise in terms of putting yourself in a place where you're gonna be sexually tempted with one another, and I'm not sure how long Bill is gonna be excited about that. And so, in addition, it doesn't seem like, and then I bring them to scripture, you bring them to scripture, you are adhering to 1 Corinthians 6, where it talks about flee sexual immorality, run from it. Don't entertain it, don't lay in bed with it, don't hang out with it, that you're to run from it. Do you think that that's what you're doing right now? Because I know you love Jesus and you wanna follow him. And so maybe you're at a place where you're like, hey, I can't afford you know, another hotel room. So hey, what if I got all the girls together and we pitched and we bought you a hotel room? Or maybe you're just like, hey, I, have, I live alone and I'm afraid, so I like to go over to, to Bill's house because I, I don't like having, I don't know what the excuse to be, but whatever it is that you just say, hey, I wanna seek to be a part of helping you in this situation, so help me understand what's going on because I don't wanna just sit on the sideline and be like, well, it's just, it's her decision. She's gotta do you. You're accountable to that. You were your brother's keeper and you're your sister's keeper and God commands that. I mean, Cain and Abel, one of the very first sins that's committed, God looks out and said, are you not your brother's keeper? In response to Cain essentially saying, what am I, my brother's keeper? And so are you if you're a Christian. This is why being in a community group is so important. Or maybe, maybe you're like a, a guy, whatever the end of the spectrum. Maybe you're a guy and you're like, uh, there's someone in your community or your roommate or someone who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. And you just see that every time the Rangers are on or the Mavs are on, like their temper just explodes. The language they have changes to like a sailor. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? And you can either sit there and go, man, that's just who he is. He gets really ramped up when Dirk plays. Or... You can say, hey, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, and you go to him in person, but I just feel like I'm not gonna be loving you well, so I want to, and I wanna do so humbly, because I may not understand, and I'm just trying to be a friend and care for you and a brother to you. It seems like when you watch this sporting event that your attitude and anger level flies through the roof. You become a different person. Has anyone ever talked to you about this before? Whatever the expression of his anger, or whatever the expression of whatever sin pattern is, that all of us have things where if you just hang around us for more than three minutes, you go, yeah, that's probably not exactly like Jesus. That's a little bit more selfish, materialistic, whatever it is. And the body of Christ, especially inside of the context of community, is supposed to love one another enough to say something when they see something. I experience this constantly. Every person on our staff experiences it, hopefully. Uh, last week, inside of my own community group, where people have to come around and say, hey, David, you're not being the man that I, w- I know you want to be. 
You're not being the friend, the co-community person, husband, whatever the scenario is, and loves me enough to say and speak as faithful are the wounds of a friend, the Proverbs say, and say, look, here's something that I see in your life. Can we talk through this? It's inconsistent with what the Bible says. Uh, two weeks ago, there was someone in our community group who, who brought a significant hurt that I had created inside of the group or I had created towards her and her husband uh, as it related. It was basically we bought a house recently. We like sold our house and bought our house all in this like 14 day window where I was gone on a retreat three days, then came back, left from Mexico for four days and then went to uh, Kansas to do a funeral. And it was like this crazy time where also uh, we'd like sold a house and bought a house. And it was like, yeah, from Mexico. Hey, I was like, doing? Anyways, point being, she's a realtor and, um, and we didn't use her as our realtor. And we had had conversations about using her and we'd gone earlier to see homes with her about it. And in the midst of just moving from one thing to the next and being self-centered, without communicating to her, we just went and bought another house with somebody else. Now, if you're there, you're like, hey, that's not that big of a deal. And it wasn't for her about the commission. It was just about a really deep wound of someone who didn't communicate with her. And it was a big deal. And it was rightfully so. And it was wrong on my part. And it created a lot of hurt. And she and her husband loved me enough to tell me and communicate that. And the guys inside of my group came along and said, look, man, here's the deal. You can move so, you can move quick to the point where you're insensitive, you're self-centered, and you don't consider how it's gonna impact and hurt others. And you need to stop. And it's an area that I need to stop. And thankfully, just like the body of Christ is supposed to be, they don't just say, all right, hey, go get them and figure it out on your own. They're going, how can we help? We're coming around. We're gonna love you enough to continue to call this out as others have. And that's just one of a list of them. Because anytime you're a part of the body of Christ, you can know you're faithfully experiencing community when people are coming around you and love you enough to tell you the truth. And if no one's loving you enough to tell you the truth inside of your community group, you might be in one on the rosters, but you might not be in community. Because Christians are called to call out one another to follow Jesus. So in summary, the people that Christians judge are other Christians. The reason why that we judge is because it's loving. You cannot love Christians. You cannot love your brothers and sisters in Christ without calling or holding them to a standard. And the way that we judge is humbly, gently, and like Jesus said, or with the attitude and actions of Jesus. Tomorrow morning, I'm gonna go to uh, uh, an annual physical exam at a doctor. And, uh, and this is what happens when you get north of 30, you end up like having more of these things and, uh, and putting on weight. And, uh, and so anyways, I'm going to the doctor and, uh, and he'll do an annual exam and they do like blood work and they take care of all this stuff and, and he'll come back and he'll basically do what doctors do, which is he'll say, here's what the test results show and here's what they don't. And he'll identify any places within the body that may not be healthy or things that he sees and say, hey, here's some things that I think we should change. Why is that relevant? Because my ability to get well is directly related on two things. His ability to tell the truth, if anything's wrong, him to say, this is where your body is not aligned with what should be going on, or I see some sort of lump or something's wrong in your blood count, his ability to identify it and my ability to receive it. And that you will not, if you're unwilling to listen to a doctor's advice, you're just not gonna get healthy. You're like, ah, no, I got this. If he says, David, hey, there's something serious, you got three months. Man, that's so judgmental. 
<laughs> I mean, that's your opinion. I think I got 30 years, okay? So teach his own. I mean, no one that's like ludicrous. And when you and I look at scripture and we say, hey, that's just God's word. It doesn't really have to inform my life. Or when we see a brother and sister that we're walking with living outside of it and we're like, man, to each his own, we are saying to the brother or sister, I see cancer and I'm doing nothing. And it feels loving in the moment. It feels like, oh, I just don't wanna hurt them. And it's not loving. It feels like, man, the relationship she's in, she's gone too far and this is just kind of what she does. You know, she kind of dates crazy because she is crazy. It's not loving to not say something. And here's why it further it matters is because just like in that scenario where my own health is dependent on my ability to receive and to have accurate diagnosis, if you will, the health of the church, which is the hope of the world. Like if the message of Jesus is true, think about it. If the message of Christianity is true, that it's true, uh, and every single person on the entire planet is gonna live forever somewhere. They're gonna spend eternity either with God or apart from God, it's the only way to him. If Jesus is who he says he is, the church is the hope of the world because it's the way that God has said, I'm gonna reach the world through the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, the hope of the world, will only be as effective as the health of the body of Christ. And the only way the body of Christ will be healthy is if those inside of it are faithful to say, here's the things that I see that don't align with God's word. Just like a doctor saying, here's the things that I see that are inconsistent with how you should be or your body was made. And you may be going, yeah, but that doesn't really add up because the doctor has a medical degree. He's standing on, you're standing on God's word, the creator of everything that is, who designed all of human life. He designed the way that people should have marriage, life, money, everything. He designed you. He designed the only place you're gonna find fulfillment and purpose. You're not standing on your own opinion. And if you are, repent. Nobody needs your opinion. And nobody needs mine. If it's outside, especially if it contradicts what God's word has to say, and the health of the body of Christ, the hope of the world is dependent on the health and the willingness of those who make up the body of Christ to speak and call one and out, to judge, to hold to the standard of the body of Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that just that you have given your people and given us instructions on how we can care for one another. The fact that there's still parts of us that are broken we don't have to live in a world where uh, we have irreconcilable differences and just relationships have to end here and friendships have to end, but you've given us the means by which we can just step towards reconciling, being restored to one another, restored to relationship with you. Father, we know how empty it is when we run from you. And those of us who don't may not realize because we've never connected with you, so we've only known the emptiness. And I pray that you would stretch out your hand for anyone who doesn't have that faith, who doesn't have just the uh, ability to say, Jesus is my Lord, my Savior. He's worthy of it all. He's the name above every name. I pray for any friends in this room who have, uh, Lord, it's just so hard. We're people pleasers. I'm a people pleaser. Would you encourage and strengthen my heart? Help me to be humble and gentle and, and yet full of courage to move towards people, to care for them. 
Help my friends to do the same. Help those of us who would claim to be Christians but don't have other followers of Christ in our life to move in that direction, to have your body surrounding us would it be healthy, holy, because it is the hope of the world. Amen.